It is a great, gracious thing. It is a great, I am very grateful for having friends of the table, having people that have walked alongside us, um, that worship with us um, occasionally and often uh, regularly as well. Um, the Sayers are a part of that group. So both Mike and Mary uh, we're incredibly grateful for. Mike has an office right next to me uh, at, the, at Highline Community Church, which is a church that has graciously given us both offices to be able to work out of um, and just to grind away um, in our daily, uh, whatever God has given us for that day. Uh, I have gone to him um, many times um, asking for pastoral advice, many times trying to um, understand something of the gospel myself, and Mike has become a great friend, uh, mentor, colleague, all of those things. He's been a pastor in Denver for 30,000 years, basically. Uh, more Before Denver, was there was Mike Sayers. So, uh, he planted a church, uh, he and Mary together planted Scum of the Earth Church, which is a church for the right brand and the left out, um, and uh, it's a beautiful community uh, that uh, was gracious enough to invite me to preach several times um, as we were getting started here. So we're grateful to have Mike uh, be able to, to preach with us this morning. He is preaching from Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was only sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, Is it not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs? Yes, it is, Lord, she said, for even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. It's great to be with you guys again. And uh, I'm sorry, either you schedule me on, on holiday weekends or, or I have this effect on, on people uh, and they don't show up as much. Um, both and, yeah. So, going to go back to my senior year of high school just for a moment. Um, started dating this girl, we'll call her Kelly, and uh, not her real name. And, uh, you know, I don't know really what that means. I mean, I think it means you hang out after school and, you know, eat food at her parents' house or something. I'm not sure what it means. But, uh, but we were, yeah, we were going out. And it was springtime, and it was time for the, uh, what they call the Sadie Hawkins dance, you know, uh, the turnaround dance, where in those days it was really unusual for girls to ask guys out on the date. So, so she... Uh, you know, I knew was going to ask me to this, this Sadie Hawkins dance. In the meantime, uh, I was hanging out with my friend, uh, we'll call him Tom, in the library. And um, on lunch period or something, I can't remember, off period. And Tom, Tom had been sweet-talking this one girl at the library, so much so that he had heard through the grapevine that she was going to ask him to the Sadie Hawkins dance which he did not want because he was just chatting her up, having fun, 
and um, I didn't want it to go any further than that. And it just so happened, um, I played basketball, uh, and school uh, season had ended, and then I got recruited by my, my church league. So the Greek Orthodox Church guys asked me to come and, and play basketball because, you know, we were going to a tournament in Chicago to play against all the other Greek kids from around the Midwest who were going to converge on Chicago. And uh, it just so happened the tournament was the very same weekend as the Sadie Hawkins dance. And so I knew that I wasn't going to go with uh, Kelly. So I talked to Steve. I said, Steve, I got a great idea. He goes, what's that? I go, I'll talk to Kelly and have her ask you to the Sadie Hawkins dance. That way she gets to go even though I'm not around. And you get off the hook when this girl finally asks you as you've heard through the grapevine. He goes, really, Mike? You would do that? I go, yeah, yeah, Tom, I trust you. And so... Um, so that's what happened. So those two went to the dance. Um, a couple of weeks went by, a few weeks, and it was getting time for senior prom coming up in the future. And I took an extended bike trip out to the quarry with a couple of my other buddies, Dave and Doug, and uh, we're riding back from the quarry, and, and uh, they start talking about prom. Like, who are you going to invite? Who are you going to invite? Blah, blah, blah. And they go, well, Mike, who are you going to invite? I go, well, I'm going to invite Kelly, obviously. And then they got really quiet and just looked at each other and looked at me and I went, what's going on? Well, nothing. I go, what is going on? And they're going, Tom and Kelly totally hooked up at the Sadie Hawkins dance, man. Like they were, they were hot and heavy. I'm going, what? <laughs> of course I'm crushed. I confront uh, Kelly, find out this is all true. But of course I blame Tom. Because <laughs> so, I'm an idiot. Um, anyway, um, so uh, it was just weird, you know? I mean, like, it's weird when you stop thinking of me going, like, like, Kelly was my girlfriend, and it's odd when your girlfriend doesn't act like your girlfriend. You know, it just isn't right, and it really threw me for a loop. Uh, I worked on that relationship with her for four years, trying to restore it in terms of just having a friendship. And we dated other people, blah, blah, blah. We were in separate schools. I dated her again my senior year in college, as a matter of fact, uh, which was also a mistake because the same thing happened again. <laughs> anyway. I know, I know. When my... When, you, when your girlfriend is not your girlfriend. But this morning we get a bigger problem because in the scripture, Jesus doesn't act like Jesus. And so I want to go over this chapter in Matthew with you, okay? It says that leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now Tyre and Sidon are up north. They're the modern day in Lebanon. Um, and, uh, and this was Gentile territory, right? He's up there. He's taking a break. We don't know why he's up there. We just know he's not in Israel. Um, didn't want anybody to know where he was going. Um, at this point, Jesus is like a rock star. People are following him all over the place. He's well known. He can't go any place and be set apart. And so I think this is why he's going up north. Um, Matthew and Mark records this as well. They, neither one of us tell Neither one of them tell us why he was going up there exactly. But um, 
Per the usual, this woman hears about it and comes to Jesus asking to help her daughter. And, and truthfully, every time this has happened, so far Jesus has always healed the person, no questions asked, right? And then, verse 22, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, other, I think Mark says Syrophoenician woman, and, and she's speaking Greek, most likely. So Jesus is answering probably in Greek, and their Gospels are recorded in Greek. But I just want to make that well known that, you know, he was bilingual, okay? At least. Maybe trilingual. He probably knew some Latin as well. Um, well, Aramaic and, and Hebrew, uh, so maybe four languages. Um, and she comes crying out, Lord, son of David. So she knows something about the Jewish culture and the background. She's calling him by the name of the Messiah, son of David, right? So she's got that going. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples come up and they talked to him and said, look, would you just send her away like She's bothering us. She's annoying. She keeps crying out after us. And, um, you know, I, I don't blame them because when Jesus didn't answer her, I think they were trying to take the cue. Jesus doesn't want to be bothered. So let's help the master find some peace and quiet. Let's, let's push her away. I mean, she's not Jewish, Right? And it was pretty obvious she was not Jewish. <clears throat> God's chosen people are Jewish, right? There's a little, uh, little rhyming couplet. It goes something like this. It goes, um, how odd of God to choose the Jews. And then the reply is, it's not out of God, Goyim Anoyim. <laughs> so you, it's like, it's like Goyim are the, is a Jewish word for, for non-Jews, right? So, so you're going, this was the mindset in ancient Israel. The, the non-Jews, the pagans, the Goyim annoy God. He doesn't like the fact that they worship idols. He doesn't like the fact that they sacrifice other gods. He doesn't like that they do all these other rituals that their false gods ask them to do. We know that from the scriptures, right? But the Jews took it a, first, a step further. I mean, it's not just their practices. It's them themselves. It's the way that they are. It's who they are. And uh, so you're wondering with his next line, Jesus says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. You're going, is Jesus racist? In favor of the Jews, is he racist? And then the woman comes before him and nails down. And she's crying out, Lord, help me. There's no exclamation points in the original text, but we're, we can assume that they're there. Um, the, uh, the translators did. Lord, help me, she said. And then Jesus replies, again, uncharacteristically, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, if the Pharisees had been there, they would have been cheering, right? 
Finally, Jesus is one of us. And <laughs> Jesus had just got done feeding the 5,000 people, the Jews, and the 4,000 who were kind of a mixed Gentile Jewish crowd. And he says it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, interesting thing, if you, if you could read this in the original Greek, you would see that the word he uses for dogs here is not the word for like the street dog, the cur that's growling and, you know, mangy on the corner in the junkyard. He's not using that word for dog. He's using the diminutive the, the, the little, like, like little dog, like puppies, using that word in the Greek. Um, I mean, it's still a slam. <laughs> You're still calling her a dog. But, um, but Kion is, a, is the wild, unclean dog. And Kinarion is the small little dog that you might make a pet, right? So he uses Kinarion in here. And it seems like unneedlessly harsh to us. But to the Jews who were there, they probably thought, he's being unneedlessly gentle. It's probably what they would have thought. Some commentators, if you read uh, what they say, they're going like, well, it was Jesus' tone of voice. Like, Jesus said this to her, like, in a joking way, you know, with a twinkle in his eye. Like, we can't hear the tone in the... I'm going, I don't know, maybe, sure, why not? But a dog is a dog. I'm sorry. It's nice that there's two words for dog. <laughs> yeah, it is nice that there's two words for dog, right. Um... So, he says it's not right to take the children's bread and feed it to the dogs. And Jesus agrees with her. He says, or she, she agrees with Jesus. I'm sorry. She agrees with Jesus. She says, yes, it is, Lord. Yes, it is, Lord. I'm going like, oh, this is humility. This, this is accepting your place in the Jewish hierarchy of importance. This, this is a humble response, right? What do we know about the Lord? He gives grace to the humble, right? But he resists the proud. And she says, and then she comes back with this line, even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And it's, it's not that I think the cleverness of the reply spoke to Jesus, I think it's just she was recognizing something about Jesus' heart that she hoped was there. Like, surely you're bigger than this. Like, surely there's something even for the little dogs. I mean, she doesn't quibble about Jesus' mission to the Jews. I mean, she's not questioning his mission statement here, right? Um, uh, she um, just refuses to accept his dismissal and won't take no for an answer. She 
She looks at that stress placed on the word first, right? She goes, of course there's a first, but there's enough for seconds. Surely your heart is this big, Lord. And the word she uses for crumbs is, is a diminutive as well. It's like little crumbs for the little dogs. <laughs> so she matches Jesus right there. It's kind of it's kind of cute, right? She's not asking for a catered full-course meal, right? She's just asking for a little bit. And so I, I think this reveals that, that she's beginning to understand something about the character of Jesus and about the work of Jesus that even his disciples don't understand at this particular point. She knows that she can't insist on God's mercy, but she can ask for it. She can accept her rank of a household dog if it means getting freedom for her daughter, because we know. Yeah, go ahead. I would imagine yes, because obviously that's a double whammy against her, right? She's not only um, a Gentile, she's also a woman. And uh, yeah, this was, but for all I know, Gentile women maybe have been more brash than <laughs> Hebrew women. I just don't, no, I don't know. I did not read any feminist response to it. I think all the commentators I read were men, unfortunately. So. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. Oh yeah, I, I I never checked the gender of the of the word. I will do that. That's really interesting. I'm going to do that. That's great. And then Jesus, of course, says to her, "You have great faith," and her request is granted. Her daughter is healed at the moment, and so the little dog becomes accepted as a little girl. You know, I think. Um, I think that the woman's refusal to accept Jesus's silence and even his pushback is kind of key to this passage. Um, she accepts his judgment and bows down as a beggar for grace. And here's the interesting thing, and I, and I want to I wanna make this really clear. It was Jesus' reticence to answer her prayer that really crystallized her faith. It's Jesus being silent. It's Jesus pushing back on the fact that she's a Gentile woman that begins to evoke something within her that causes her to ask again and ask harder. Only twice did Jesus ever commend somebody for their great faith. And interestingly, they're both Gentiles, the Roman centurion and this woman. And that's kind of great for us because in the end, we find out, oh, Jesus isn't racist. 
He's not, he's not partial. So trying to look at this thing from a current 21st century standpoint. Um, I think I felt this way sometimes when it comes to my relationship with Jesus. Like, and I pray and I don't get answers or I keep getting a no, whatever the, whatever's going on, so things aren't going right. I keep, I, I begin to think, you know, if only I was a better person, maybe Jesus would reply to me. If only I had more faith. If only I was better at the spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible, prayer, meditation, you know, though if only I was better than what I am, Jesus would actually pay attention to me. I mean, sometimes Jesus calls us to be his friend, his buddy, right? But this is not one of those times. And sometimes Jesus calls us to humility and to push back. And I think that is what this time is. And we're forced to ask a question, I think, when we're in that situation. And what I really believe about Jesus' heart? What, what, why, what do I think is in there? Is there enough left over for me? Really? When he gets done answering the prayers of, you know, the Timothy Kellers and the Christine Keynes and, the, you know, Beth Moores and the John Pipers. I mean, like, is there, is there enough left over for me? And it comes down to, is God, how good is God? And, and is he good to me? I mean, I know God could easily make things worse for her. Like, he could turn her into a toad, right? She's got the impotence to start responding and pushing back. But Jesus accepts that. And I think that maybe he's inviting her into a conversation. I think maybe he's inviting her into a deeper relationship. In some ways, I want to say he's inviting her into a much more Jewish relationship with God than she's been used to. Because if you're, if you, if you believe in, let's say, the pagan gods, the Greek gods, for example. I mean, you never knew where you stood, right? You would go to the Oracle of Duffy, you would ask for some kind of prophecy, and this thing would come out that was so murky. You never knew how to avoid it. You know, if you're Oedipus, you know, you can't stop yourself from having, <laughs> you know... <laughs> from killing your father and, and taking your mother as your wife. I mean, you can't stop that because the prophecy is so freaking clouded. I mean, if you're, if you're a little bit proud, you get smushed. You try and help people and God doesn't want you to help, like Prometheus, and you get eternal punishment. A vulture comes and gnaws at your, your, your intestines all day long as you're chained to a rock. And then you heal up and then it happens all over the next day. The Greek gods would zap you if you got out of line. But Jesus responds to her and invites her into a deeper conversation. He invites her to boldness. He invites her to push back. 
He invites her to humility. You know, I know we're the scum of the earth. I know we're the refuse of the world. But we're also the salt of the earth and the light of the world, right? What do we believe about Jesus' heart? I'm always surprised by God's goodness when he forces me to pursue him by not answering. I'm always surprised by God's goodness when he forces me to pursue him because he has not answered my prayers. I mean, Mary will tell you this, but, you know, we haven't had all easy sailing when it comes to our marriage. It's been extreme. Nothing in my life has brought me closer to Jesus than my wife and our relationship. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and I'm just thinking, like, why, you know, I mean, literally, I'm on knees begging, like, why won't you answer my prayers to change her? <laughs> oh, well. Um, it goes both ways. I remember, um, and this is, you know, if I mean, honestly, like, you wonder why God would let you miscarry. Why would he do that? After all the prayers beforehand, before you even conceived. Why wouldn't he answer those prayers? I mean, you don't have to worry about your baby. Your baby is safe in the arms of Jesus. Your baby will never have to experience the world, the flesh, or the devil. But Jesus is asking you to come into a deeper relationship with him than you've ever known before. That's my belief. It's not easy. I mean, he's not a vending machine God. I mean... If we could just say prayers, like press the button and the treat comes out, there would be no relationship. But sometimes he doesn't answer our prayers because he wants us to shake the machine. He wants us to, what is going on? I mean, we pray from the Psalms every week here. I mean, read through the Psalms. You talk about a relationship with God says, what are you doing? Every great hero of the faith is forced into a deep relationship with God because they don't get their prayers answered. Everyone, Moses, Abraham, how many times with Abraham? How many times with Moses? Hannah. She was in such distress that the high priest thinks she's drunk. I mean, come on. Mary, the mother of Jesus. I mean, I can't imagine what that lady went through. I just can't. Yeah, exactly. The hard times produce a relationship. It's what's going on. It's what's a little vignette we have right here. 
I mean, birthing a church is like this. You know, you go from full one week to, you know, 10 people the next week. I mean, come on. Like, Lord, what are you doing? It forces Mark on his knees. I know this. It's a great thing for a pastor to do. Right. Yeah. 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 What's going on? Oh, yeah. Five Iron Frenzy's on tour. That's why there's nobody here. Uh, and so... Um, When Jesus doesn't act like Jesus, let's remember that he's inviting us into a deeper relationship with him, that he wants us to push back, that he wants us to argue with him, that he wants us to plead with him, that he wants us to hold on and never let go. He wants us to have faith, the kind of faith that says you're better than what I see right now. Like this woman had. You're better than this. I believe this in the core of my being. We're going to end with a prayer along those lines. Okay? Lord Jesus, we all know that you're good. But we all don't always see it right now. Give us the courage, the perseverance, the pluck to keep asking, to keep knocking, to keep seeking. Give us the grace to not give up when it feels like you are not acting like yourself. We know that you are better than what it seems right now. We know that. Help us to hang in there and struggle with you and talk with you and argue with you and plead with you so that we see your heart of love for not just the great saints but for us as well. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks.